With Secret Outlast, you can go for a jog and smell like you didn't. With Secret Outlast, you can go for a jog in the middle of August and smell like you didn't. With Secret Outlast, you can go for a jog in the middle of August and accidentally finish first in a fun run. We have a new winner. And smell like you didn't. With Secret Outlast, you can do anything life throws your way and smell like you didn't. Secret provides 72-hour odor protection. Available in sticks or sprays. Secret works. 746, 14 minutes now in front of 8, 69 degrees here in the Twin Cities. It's time for our weekly wine chat with Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Jack, always good to visit with you, and I hope you had a great 4th. Indeed I did, Steve. Uh, the 4th of July is a great holiday, and, and that's, as a matter of fact, I, what I thought I would talk about today is America and wine. Uh, we're so fortunate in this country it's hard to imagine, but when you go into average, even the average wine shop in the United States, you see a bigger selection of wine than you do anywhere else in the world. And there's a good reason for that. Today we have become the number one consumer of wine in the entire world. With 350 million people, it's easy to see why, because, you know, the most populous countries, uh, India and China, well, wine isn't really part of their culture, or if it is, it's rice wine uh, and uh, not really ordinary table wine, although even in those countries, table wine is making inroads. Not too long ago, there wasn't a single vineyard in China, and today I believe there's 62 of them and uh, growing. And in India, there, less than 10 years ago, there were no wineries, and today I think there's 12 or 14, and that's that's growing. But so... But let's just talk about American wine for a minute. You know, our founding fathers were all wine aficionados and had wine cellars. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, all had big wine cellars. As a matter of fact, Madeira, which is a wine from Spain, uh, the island of Madeira, uh, was one of the most popular wines to drink at the time in every uh, landowner of consequence would offer you a glass of Madeira when you came in from a long journey as part of their hospitality. But anyway, that's a fortified wine. Thomas Jefferson wrote a wonderful book, uh, or, or kept, it, he really didn't write it as a book, but it's available as a book today, Wine Travels with Thomas Jefferson. It was his notes and memoir of his wine trip throughout France and Italy, uh, where he went to the most famous vineyards in the world, and some of them are still operational 200-plus years later. And uh, even our founding father, uh, George Washington, not only was fond of wines, but was the biggest distiller in all of the 13 original colonies. In fact, the basis of Washington's fortune came from uh, the distillery that was on Mount Vernon. And it in today's dollars, they would produce about $500 million worth of whiskey a year. So it was a lot of whiskey at the colonial time. Uh, but I'm diversing here. I wanted to talk about wine. You know, Thomas Jefferson envisioned our country being all vineyards and all the uh, territories and all the colonies, etc., and was unsuccessful in all of his attempts to grow uh, grapes for, for to make wine at Monticello. However, today he'd be very proud because in all 50 states, 
including Hawaii and Alaska, there are bonded wineries that actually are making wine. And, you know, the Vikings were almost prophetic. They called this land Vinland because everywhere they went were wild vines. And while wild vines really don't produce very good wine, uh, wild vines give you an indication that the area is capable of supporting vines and therefore maybe capable of supporting grapevine. And today we're doing that. Of course, the, the biggest states for wine are California, Oregon, Washington, Texas, Ohio, and Michigan. But the other states all have wineries, including here in Minnesota. I think we have 67 or 70, something like that, bonded wineries in the state of Minnesota. And and we can raise our head and be very proud in this country. Uh, you know, the number one wine school in the world is University of California Davis campus is regarded as the Harvard, if you will, or the Oxford of the wine industry and everybody throughout the world who has somebody who's interested in wine wants to send them to the University of Davis or University of California Davis uh, to learn about wine because that's where it's the fountainhead of all the technology and all the wonderful stuff that's coming out with on wine. And as a matter of fact, <clears throat> any research and development is basically comes from the United States. This is, I mean, we are the fountainhead today of knowledge. Tradition comes, of course, from Europe, but all of the new techniques, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are basically coming from California and the University at Davis. And like I said, anybody who has children in the wine business, and in Europe, that's big tradition. I call on people there who are fifth and even tenth generation people uh, who are in the wine business, it's their goal to send somebody over to the United States to learn about wine. So that's a very uh, remarkable thing for a country that had this horrible hiccup called prohibition. You know, we had wineries in about 33 states before prohibition, and of course prohibition knocked them all out. A little known fact in prohibition, is every household could make up to 350 gallons of wine all during prohibition. This was uh, part of uh, the act, uh, the Prohibition Act, but it, it had devastating effect on commercial vineyards because they, they just were all of a sudden out of business. And then when the country repealed prohibition, did anybody want wine? Not really. They wanted to embrace a hard alcohol that wasn't going to make them go blind or kill them, because uh, a lot of that homemade uh, booze did do that. Uh, and what did they do? They ignored wine for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden, in the 60s and 70s, wine caught on, and people started to enjoy wine. And today, like I said, we're a wine-drinking nation. When I started in the wine business, the consumption per capita in the United States was less than one liter, a little over a quart per person. Today, it's almost two gallons per person, annual consumption of wine. I mean, that's an enormous jump in about 50 years. And one of the things we have to be thankful for is about 40 years ago in Paris, 1976, 
they decided they'd have a big competition. Uh, a fellow, in fact, he was an American fellow, ran a wine school in Paris and invited all of the prestigious Parisian judges and uh, experts on Bordeaux and Burgundy to come and blind taste some wines. And lo and behold, the wine that won white, American. The wine that won red, a Cabernet from California. So it, this was just dumbfounding to the French. And then because the national media picked it up, Time magazine picked it up, and all of a sudden what that did was give those folks in California who were making wine all of a sudden the encouragement and the boost that, yes, our wines can be world-class. And they were, and they are. And so today we can thank that tasting in 1976 in Paris for helping the quality of our wines. And, and the quality of the wines produced in this country are a par with any wine all over the world. And that's saying a lot. You know, some of the wines from France and Italy, etc., have had thousands of years of tradition, etc. And yet, in just a few short years, we've gotten to the level where we compete with them on the worldwide stage and compete very favorably. As a matter of fact, American companies own wineries all over the world. Gallo, which is the largest wine company in the entire world, is an American institution, and they own vineyards in Italy, Spain, Chile, Argentina, etc. <clears throat> Our good friends, the Boissets in France, who are the largest vineyards in France, recently, not recently, it was 15 years ago, uh, John Charles Boisset married Gina Gallo. Uh, you'll all remember her. She was the spokesman for Gallo for a long time on their TV ads. And uh, what a merger that was. Not even a marriage, really a merger. But So we can be very proud in the United States. Not only do we have great, great selection, but we have this enormous variety where you can get wines from uh, everywhere in the world. Uh, the Ukraine. Uh, you know, places most people don't even think about, and yet they're available here in this country. And while most of us don't think we know very much about wine, and we'll meet somebody from France who we think is, oh, they're just an expert because they're from Bordeaux, you've had a lot more wines than that fellow from Bordeaux has. <clears throat> I remember once being in a French restaurant and talking to the sommelier, and we were talking about different wines, and I asked him about Sancerre, which is a white wine from the Loire Valley and a very popular aperitif wine. And he said, well, I've never tasted that. And this, here's a guy supervising a wine list of hundreds of different wines, but he'd never had a Sancerre, which is a very common wine. So we as Americans have had German wines, you've had French wine, you've had Italian wine, you've had Australian wine, wines from Chile, etc. Uh, your tastes are universal, very Catholic. Uh, from around the world, and not be ashamed that uh, this fellow from France knows more about wine than I do. He might know more about wine from his little area, but you know more about overall wine and have tasted more wine than he has. So we can really be very proud on this uh, wonderful birthday of America that all of a sudden we have attained, in my opinion, our rightful place as one of the great, great 
wine-producing areas of the world, and not only great wine-producing area, but the largest consumer of wines in the world uh, is in America. And don't you think that Thomas Jefferson would be just beaming today because that was his goal, and he was never even able to produce a single, single glass of wine at Monticello. And today there are vineyards in Virginia that produce wines that would rival some of those wines that Thomas Jefferson went to France to seek out. Wow. So I think we're in a pretty good state of affairs for the wine industry in the United States. Well, and Jack, uh, people can get a great bottle of wine today at a Haskell's near you. Yes, Steve, they can. Haskell's is really called the wine people for a good reason, and that's because we love to talk about wine, and we've been doing it for over 85 years. Yes, 85 years we've been providing the Twin Cities with the finest of wines from all over the world. And you know, best of all, we're going to help provide you with a wine that won't break the bank, but will make the meal. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior, right at the dock in Excelsior. Haskell's in Fairball, right off of 35. Our Maple Grove Supercellar is a store not to be missed. Imagine that wall there has over 19,000 bottles of wine on it. In downtown Minneapolis on Saturdays and Sundays, we have free parking. Haskell's at Minnetonka, Plymouth. St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com, and you can pull up our whole summer uh, sale catalog. Well, Jack, always great. Thanks so much. Steve, wonderful to chat with you. There he is, Jack Farrell, in our weekly wine chat here on CCO. With Secret Outlast, you can go for a jog and smell like you did it. With Secret Outlast, you can go for a jog in the middle of August. With Secret Outlast, you can go for a jog in the middle of August and accidentally finish first in a fun run. We have a new winner. And smell like you didn't. With Secret Outlast, you can do anything life throws your way and smell like you didn't. Secret provides 72-hour odor protection. Available in sticks or sprays. Secret works. 